dummy. Why don't you call the pizza place and get some dinner? Alright. Oh, okay. Let me, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Generic pizza. How can I help you? Uh, I'm, uh, buenos, buenos noches. Hey, would like to order some pizzas? Okay. What can I get for you? A blood cheese, banana pepper, hold the pepper, just okay. bananas. Okay. Ah, uh, pineapple and anchovy mm -hmm. for puppy. Uh, green pepper and mushroom for, for mama. Okay. Oh, Hobart, what do you want? Um, do you have kangaroo? I don't. Wombat? Mm-mm. Wallaby? Nope. Koala? Nope. Googler? Nope. Dugong? No. Fruit bat? Yeah, we have fruit bat. Kosher? No. Oh. Well, um, uh, just some, just some cheese sticks then. Oh, and uh, put a rush on it, will you? What are you, a snail? A snail? <laughs> Hi, it's Paul Dini. This is Missy Lee. You are um, aggravated with me, I can tell. I am not. Yes, you are. I, I am fine. Well, then what's a little uh, voodoo doll of me doing out with all the nails stuck through it? What? I did. I don't know. <laughs> the one that you just tossed behind the counter? Everybody couch? loves everybody up in here today. Yes, yes we Hi, do. Hi, everybody. Happy April Fool's Day. Yes, happy April Fool's Day to all of you. It won't be April Fool's Day anymore when you're listening to this, but we're recording it on April Fool's Day, so April Fool's you, we fooled you, we moved our April Fool. Yes, we are hilarious we. pranksters. I know, we are We are merry imps. <laughs> Paul is like giddy today, you guys. He's just like trying to say the word snail and he just can't stop laughing about I don't know why, snail. it was like, uh, yeah. It's like, no, Super Rica. It, well, that, you so. were saying snail earlier. Oh, I was coaching Superico. That's yes. right, and I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. Yes, you just could not stop laughing at the snail. I get like that sometimes. Yeah, I'm not like that right now, but Are, I do, do you, get like that sometimes. Do you ever? Do you ever crack <laughs> Ezra's up? Ezra's like, the, no, you're not. Our audience isn't like that right now. No, no <laughs> none of them. They're like, what? What is the snail? Do you ever crack up in the recording booth where you just start laughing so hard that you, you it takes a second to pull it together? Uh, I've never, I've never gone up in a line laughing for sure. I've never not been able to recover fast enough to keep going. Some of the I mean, I, I got to yeah. tell you though. I mean, you get in a, in a booth with someone like Tom Kenny or Fred Tattashore. Fred is very Tattashore. funny. I was in there with uh, Roger Craig Smith and Troy Baker. One Rob day. Paulson's a big yeah. Rob Paulson's very funny too. Yeah. But Rob and uh, Roger Craig Smith and Troy Baker had me laughing real hard one day, just yeah. being sassy. Yeah. And every once in a while, Logan and Drake on Spidey yeah. would get going yeah. and and uh, OG Banks. Yes. And we That's I just right. dropped a bunch of names. Let me yeah. just. Pick all those yeah, up. Yeah, sorry, I made a mess there. Yeah, you know what? Do me a favor and go back and put penny drops after dink, dink, yeah. dink. Will you do that, please? Yeah. And then like scoop up all the. You can leave all this in, you know. But just like scoop up all this the change when I say I'm gonna pick it up. That's very yeah. funny. Um, do you want me to go back and give you that line again? No. Uh, well, you can just leave all this in and not even edit yeah. it out. And at yeah. home, they'll note the magic of editing, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It's uh, you asked for something and it was wrong. already done yeah. because that's how good Ezra is. Hey, can you go back and put sound effects? Already did it. Yeah. Oh. Do you want to do that instead? Bank. I got an instant replace in here with everything. Here now. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Yeah, it's like the producer screen where you're hitting yeah. the phone call and the wah, wah. And yeah. Don't give me no back talk, sucker. You know, like, like this. I got that one too. Yeah, what's it, <laughs> what's it called? A soundboard or something? Uh, the soundboard, a sampler, and uh, the instant replay is still one of the brand names I mm. use. Yeah, you fancy bugger. Yeah. I love that you know that. I'm going to go get my own soundboard. I don't often see... Uh, 
every once in a while I'll see guys lose it in the booth when they're recording. Sometimes for table read or like the first read we used to do on like uh, Batman Animaniacs, we'd mm -hmm. always do like a Because you know rehearsal. Batman's hilarious. Well, sometimes. <laughs> when Mark Hamill and Arlene Sorkin were mixing it up, that some of that stuff was pretty funny. Don't give me no back talk, sucker. Oh, okay. There it is. There you go. Oh, you're doing your world... It's April Fool. You're doing your world... Don't fame. make me mad. You're, oh, there was a er. Your world up, famous fool. imitation of Mr. There it is. There it is. All right. Hey, every Here. April Fool's Day. Shut up, fool. <laughs> very good. Very good. Because oh, you know man. I need this in my hand. Yeah. Because um, that's not dangerous. What uh, else do we have here? What else is it? First name, Mr. Middle name, period. Last name, T. Stupid. Quit your chibba jabba. That's a good one. That's a good one. I say I that to you. Yeah. <laughs> Quit that chibba jabba. Yeah. I pity the fool. Nah, that was old. I I, I like this one. Quit your jibber jabber. And this one. Shut up, fool. Yeah, that's all I need. That's a... Quit your jibber jabber and shut up, fool. Yeah, yep. It's a Mr. T in your pocket talking box. Don't don't give away my secrets. Oh, I'm sorry. You're ruining my magic. Right, cut that part out. No, don't cut that part out. Here, just... Shut up, fool. There okay. we go. <laughs> now that I know what button's what, you guys are all going to get it. That reminds me of... Uh, um, so you said Arlene Sorkin and Mark Hamill were funny in the Batman booth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark Ma Hamill's funny just in general. He's a good dude. He is, he is. He is so kind mm -hmm. and he's so nice. We were over his house once and I was thinking, every once in a while, you know, life with Deanie, every once in a while I sit there and go, wow, how did I get here? And mm -hmm. if you had told 13-year-old me I'd be here, I'd be like, what? Um, we were at Mark and Mary Lou's house and they were having competitive tuna competitions. They had both made a tuna salad and we had to, well, they said we had to, we would not because uh -huh. they were both equally actually honestly good, but they were putting, each had made tuna salad. Yeah. Mark Hamill and his like wife. No, no, they had made, I mean, they hadn't killed the fish and skinned it themselves, yeah, yeah, okay. but they had made tuna salad. Like they each had their own special recipe and we were putting it on Ritz crackers and we had, they wanted us to choose which one we liked better which one of them made the superior tuna salad and i'm going yeah i'm not doing that i'm gonna eat it all yeah, with a yeah. smile on my because it actually was all good and they were equal you know yeah. they were both really good but they'd been having this battle for years and could never get a guest to choose because they're equal like they're really legitimately equal but that same visit they were watching their daughter's dog <clears throat> and the dog was sitting on mark and he was talking to us and it mm -hmm. was sitting on his chest and he was he would lay on the floor with it because it was mm -hmm. nervous and it calmed it down for him to play with it and hold it and stuff. And he was, you know, so he was just shifting positions because we we're all comfortable. And at one point he was lying on the floor on his back and the dog was sitting on his face, slapping him with its tail. Like it, it was sitting on his chest. That it wasn't, it chest. wasn't sitting on his face. His poodle sat on my face once. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. But but this time, the dog was sitting on his chest, slapping Mark in the face with its tail, and he's trying to talk to us and lifting the dog's tail away from his mouth so it wouldn't get stuck in his mouth while he was talking to us. And I'm thinking, how did I get to the point where I'm talking to Luke Skywalker and he's wiping dog tail out of his mouth? Like, has, yeah. He's so, like, cool. Like, he's just so, like, this is just what we're doing right now. You know, like, there's no pretension. There's nothing. He's just a... Rock solid dude. But when we did that silly Rashi interview with him years ago, yeah. they had two poodles that were living there at the time. They're both gone, unfortunately. That uh -huh. was like 10 years ago. Uh -huh. um, first time I ever met him, I had to lay on the floor for, you know, for production reasons, mm -hmm. she said, making air quotes because I was operating Rashi. Rashi what? Was no, I wasn't. Yeah. And uh, the poodles were sitting on my face. So I'm like trying to operate Rashi and there's a poodle on my cheek. And I'm going, Mark Hamill's dog is sitting on my face right now. What's my life? You're living the life. That's pretty great. Welcome, you know, like, I mean, that's Hollywood. pretty great. Yeah. 
Ten years later, you're eating his... Uh, eating his, his tuna salad with Mary Lou. His Love Jedi, both of them his sitting Jedi at night, Owen's Bar Mitzvah, um, dancing the horror with his Jedi wife. Night, tuna yes, salad, I was. Yeah. That's the preferred food of Jedi everywhere. Rit- Rituna his, of yes, the Jedi. Rituna of the Jedi. Oh, okay. Here we wow. go. Yeah. yeah. We got some good Ezra puns. Did you see them yeah, uh, on the I, Facebook oh, page? Oh, nice work, guys. He's bright red. It's been a couple weeks, but you guys did a good job. Yeah. Now, now, now I give you tuna puns. That is there your assignment. And if you would like to make me real happy, put them on the pun dog meme. Have you seen the pun dog meme? No. It's a husky looking dog that tells bad jokes. Oh, the one that goes, ah, with yeah. the toy. With the toy. Yeah, with okay. the toy. yeah, yeah. I forgot about it. With it, he doesn't have his mouth open. Uh, I guess in the middle panel he does. Oh, okay. But he's like peeking at you coy over a yeah, toy. Yeah. And, then and then he tells the joke and then he goes back down to the okay, down to the yeah. cute the cute face. Yeah. I, I would like to see some tuna fish jokes on Pun Dog, guys. The internet has ruined comedy. It has not. I'm not saying that stuff's <laughs> not wrong. funny. But you can put out everybody, you know, 15 years ago, people who would have had careers as cartoonists, stand-up comedians, writers are all putting it for free out on the internet. And the internet devours things like a... They don't have enough material. No, they have one good idea. So yeah, they put it on they, Pundog. And then they rehash uh, everyone else's stuff and repost it over and over again. I disagree. I, I think the internet devours comedy like a puma I devours poodoos. I don't care. I love it. No, no, we're not going to eat poodoos on this podcast. We're not doing that. They do. You know what? No, they don't. They don't. Okay, all right. They do not pick them off like popcorn. Hey, like, we need a bow. They, they, the internet devours comedy faster than my brother devours milk duds. How about that? It's getting worse. And he can eat a passel of milk duds. Or Stevie boy. eats all the lamb. No, Bruce eats the, oh, the milk duds. Yeah, he does like That's those. like a bushel or a peck. A passel? It's, an it's old, a lot. It's an old-time, old folks uh, expression for a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, you need a passel of milk duds. Old folks don't eat milk yeah. duds because they pull out their teeth. Mm. I was going to recommend this is the that. worst podcast ever. No, it's great. I was going to recommend Bruce going to see that Mickey Mouse cartoon because uh, it has milk duds in it. Yeah. Oh, Come yeah, on. the one with the horse? Yeah. Horse, Get a horse? Yeah, horse, horse collar. That's a good one. On, uh, that's real cute. Fun, yeah, 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 it's really cute. You know what I love is like I, uh, about 15 years ago, I bought a marionette of horse, horse collar, the classic oh, old rubber wow. hose, hose version of it. And when I saw the cartoon, he looks exactly the same as my Bob Baker marionette. Yeah, he did which, a great job with this design. Yeah, yeah you yeah. bought that on eBay. You know what I tried to buy no. on eBay? A glass eye in a box. And really? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. You know, I, I didn't buy it. Yes, yeah, they're right here. Oh. <laughs> uh, I bought Horace in Disney World, actually. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Oh, he must have been expensive. He was expensive, but he's like quadrupled in value since I believe then. you. They only made like... A dozen of them, you know, I know, because who's gonna buy? You know, Mickey and Minnie, you can sell. I think they made one gigantic big bad wolf, one gigantic. I'm uh, surprised you Peg don't Leg have the Pete. big bad wolf and Peg Leg Pete. You like the villains? I do like the villains. Uh, Peg Leg Pete, if he was slightly more modern design, I would have bought. He had the big, you know, the the disc eyes, and the big bad wolf had a more cartoony look. I wanted that, but it was like a zillion dollars, and oh. so. Horace was actually more modest for my budget, and I like him a lot because he's an underused character. Absolutely. I actually pitched a Horace Horse Collar TV series to Disney Animation wow. some years oh, back wow. that I really wanted to do. Well, don't talk about it on here. I Take will. it back and pitch it again. I will. I will. Because uh, now that they've done Get a Horse, they might listen. Well, Horace is going to You know who to send that email yeah. to. Yeah. yeah, he and Clarabel were on Dancing with the Stars last week. Were they really? Uh, April Fool. Um, but you bought it. You, you know, you, it's, did, that's just lame enough to, to work. You know? I did see today, though, that Dancing with the Stars uh, woman Amy something with the no legs. Uh-huh. She has no legs when she's dancing on Dancing with the Stars. God bless her. 
All right, but, but there was a woman named Eleanor Marchetti who uh, who ran my grandfather's restaurant. She was sort of the 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 business manager. Mm -hmm. You know, beautiful, large, wonderful Italian woman. And whenever she heard anything bad or good about somebody, she'd go, "God bless them." <laughs> who bless does that them. sound like? Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it sounds that. like Carol Ann Susie is who that sounds like. We had we had dinner with Carol Ann Susie uh, two weeks ago mm -hmm. over at Rayo's restaurant here in mm -hmm. Hollywood. And There's a swanky restaurant in New York, for those of you who are in New York that listen to this, hello, uh, called Rayo's, R-A-O apostrophe S. And yeah. you can't get in. They have 10 tables in New York. Yeah. So they're booked up like a year in advance. They have opened an L.A. branch here, clearly, and they have reproduced it exactly. The food, the experience, everything. Mm -hmm. uh, they even brought some of the staff over from New York. So Frankie you can from have... New York is out here now. Apparently, Absolutely, the guy yeah. who created the place yeah, yeah. came over to our table and said, "How did you like the Sunday gravy?" It was wonderful. It was. It was good. It was very good. But it was, more important than that, it was fun, and you and Carol Ann and and us just all talking together. Yeah, and, that was uh, a really nice evening. Yeah. It was just really super. There's something you know. I have a, a big streak of uh, East Coast Italian in me, so. And Carol Ann is all New York Italian, so it's very much like, you know. You guys were singing the song of your people. <laughs> yes, we were. Which mm -hmm. is like, what gravy? That's true, it kind of is. It is, yeah. Hey, where's the broccoli Robbie? <laughs> there you go. Somebody bring me some broccoli Robbie. Yeah. That is totally not how she talks. It's so interesting. I was talking to Trish um, about her the other day, and I was yeah. saying Carol Ann for... As, for those of you guys who don't know, Caroline Susie is a very dear friend of ours, and mm -hmm. she also plays Mrs. Wallowitz. She's Howard's mom on Big, the Big Bang Big Theory, Big Bang Warrior, and the, right. and the, yeah, 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 yeah. And the yelling that you hear is exactly how she talks. But you would think like what I just did was an okay impression, and that's usually how people do it. But her voice is rough, but her demeanor is so warm and so loving that she's next to impossible to really get down mm -hmm. unless she's mad. And she's hardly ever mad because Carol Ann herself is so lovely. You know, like she's just so musical and she's so beautiful and ethereal. And so, you know, like so much of what she says is so pretty in tone yeah. and it's so well intended, but it's in that gruff voice that she's really hard. She's good. To, she's okay to do an impression of, but I can't voice match her. Mm -hmm. no. And I can usually voice, I mean, like, you know, if, if they're yeah. anywhere in my range, I can usually get it. I can do an impression of Carol Ann, but I can't get her. Yeah. You know, like, unless she's mad, because she's so not gruff. It's so funny and strange. Well, that's what a lot of the great impressionists, um, like, uh, especially in the animation, guys like Dawes Butler and, uh, and some of the others, and, uh, you know, um, uh, Stan Freeberg, Mel Blanc, and those guys, when they would do the voice of a, of a well-known actor, they didn't really do the actor's voice. They did what you think he right. sounded exactly. like. Right, exactly, exactly. Like, Phil Sidler's never talked like Hokey Wolf, really. Nope. But he, there was some, there was a certain cadence to his voice mm -hmm. uh, that, that 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 is similar. And then when the writing is similar, when the when the character is written like a con man, you you kind of get it. It's the same thing. Uh, Yogi Bear does not really sound like um, Art Carney, but there is uh, that that's where it took its inspiration from. So a lot of times, you would hear a voice actor and you'd say, "Oh, you do a great Jackie Gleason, or you do a great uh, Lucille Ball, or whoever." They're doing kind of like a mutant version of it, yet right. because you're not looking at the actual actor, it, it it kind of strikes you as, oh, hey, that's really close. Mm -hmm. That that's how. Uh, it also makes me wonder, like, what would we have now? You know, like if if we have someone like Oprah, I guess you could do an impression of Oprah, uh -huh. or you could do an impression of someone like Rachel Maddow, uh -huh. who's very iconic. It's you know, not like really those kind of like. 
it's not the we don't like, have the Hollywood sticky system yeah where, like there's stars and there's right. people that everyone knows we don't really have that not anymore I mean there are there are a lot of really funny comedians uh -huh. but if you wanted if if somebody said give me Seth Rogen you could go like Hey, how are you? know, like kind of a laid back, the same thing that you do guy. for Kevin. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and with or, Jonah, or for Kevin Smith, yeah. or for you know Jonah. Yeah. Jonah, Jonah Hill, Hill, make it go up all the time. Everything is like okay, you know, mm -hmm. you you, and that does not sound anything at all like Jonah Hill. But there yeah. are there are times in the movies where he's kind of like you know, well, it's like what's their funny essence? You yeah, know, like exactly. Charlene, Charlene Yee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's kind of shy, you know. It's uh, but Mindy she, Kaling, I mean, yeah. is, is sort of brassy and out Melissa there. McCarthy, you yeah. know. But but what or or Kristen Wiig, because uh -huh. she like gives it and then she takes it away, and then she'll she'll put it out there and then she brings it back, yeah. you know. Like that yeah. is that Kristen Wiig? No, does it sound like her? Not really, no. you know. Or Tina Fey, who's like giving it to you like this? She's almost like a female Seinfeld. Yeah, she's just putting it out there, you know. And it's like, is that Tina Fey? Not really, but kind of. Who do you think was the last comedian that came along that you could actually do a voice? Impersonation of, I mean, and in, in you would get it. Hmm. That's a tough call, you know, because I'm like trying to work my way backward, and I'm going, okay, Sarah Silverman, not really. Uh, Carrot Top, not really. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, Lewis Black. Lewis Black, maybe. Lewis yeah, Black. Lewis Black. Lewis Black, yeah, I would say. One. Jeremy Hotz, uh -huh. but nobody really knows who he is, although he's my favorite comedian. Of and, all time. And, and you know, you, you you do something like this, and you kind of go, okay, that's Bill Murray, but that's Bill Murray only. But that's yeah. Only only in Caddyshack, Caddyshack, Mr. Go Fair. But it's like that is that is also kind of akin to the nerd character you used to do on Saturday Night Live. Yep. But if you're doing Bill Murray from Scrooged or um, what does that sound like? I don't even know. A mean guy. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> or, or even from Ghostbusters, it's he's hard to peg. So uh, it's like when he's doing a character. It's like he himself is doing a character. Where did that voice come from? Did that come from like 20 years before him? Like like Frankie Fontaine, you know, somebody doing like a crazy right. voice and, like and that. Right, and I think that going back to what we were talking about initially and how they yeah. used to have those celebrities who would have yeah. this iconic sound. And I, I'm guessing, and guys, if you know better than me, please correct me, um, that that probably came from vaudeville. Yeah, because they would have point, to yeah. know, like an audience, they would have to have that unique sound in order to get booked. And also, they'd have to have something unifyingly identifiable to make them stand out. Their cadence would have to carry on stage. Their cadence would have to carry audibly. Mm -hmm. You'd have to be able to hear them, so they would have a specific sound. Yeah, they like would the know they're funny. Or something. Yeah. yeah, Groucho, Mar the Marx the Groucho Brothers. Marx, look at Groucho, yeah. yeah. Or somebody like Ed Wynn, you know, oh, who yeah. had that, <laughs> you know, like, like giggle Absolutely. to his voice. Mm -hmm. That permeated, you know, there was the roles he did himself from like, uh, you know, from, from the Mad Hatter to his character in, uh, you know, in, in dozens of movies through Mary Poppins and everything. And that voice has sort of mutated a little bit into something like Tigger, you know, like mm -hmm. you can find, it's not, a, it's not an imitation of it, but there is sort of like a link back to it. And Right, um, because I mean, and especially with like, even with females, yeah. you know, and Ethel Merman is yeah. pretty, pretty easy to identify. And the same, you know, with an Angela Lansbury or a Julie Andrews, you know, like they all, even back then in the 60s, they had that. And so I wonder if that was just part of their stage training, honing and refining an essence. Well, I, I, I think so, I'd because be all right, you mentioned vaudeville, and I think that's, 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 that's very, I think you nailed it, because 
you vaudeville was always live. Yep. And you want you needed to go out there and get the audience like that. Absolutely. So what's your shtick? What's your gimmick? What's your accent? Mm -hmm. So Groucho had that. You know, originally his accent was was much more German, but that was right before World War One. And so he changed that. He dropped the German out and made him more of a wise guy. And then uh, Fields, Edwin, Jack Benny, Milton Berle, all those guys started in vaudeville and then made the transition to, to television. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Durante, of course. Oh, yeah. And He's so you've got to go out there and you've got to give the audience something they can remember you by. So yeah. your voice, really, and you were out there and you're basically screaming and uh, or, or hollering to this big people. Whereas somebody like... Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, Steve Carell, they don't need to scream. They're on camera. They're, the yeah. TV's right there, and they're talking to guy. and the vaudeville audience was, hey, we're here to see a show. They were kind of loud the same way. Seth Rogen is like, hey, dude, what's up? You know, Jason because, Siegel. Because, because the, our audience is sitting on the couch like this. They oh, have man, a passive really instead of an active audience. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's totally true. Yeah. So it's different, and now it's all underplayed. You know, like when Seth Rogen kind of looks at the camera sideways... It's, it's very subtle because his face is so huge. I was talking to someone about the different disciplines of acting and how is voiceover acting different than on stage acting. Someone mm. said, is it a different kind of acting when you do magic versus voiceover? And I said, oh, completely. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, isn't an actor kind of an actor? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. However, um, what you're looking at when you do voiceover and it, even genres of voiceover. Mm -hmm. I had this afternoon of three video game auditions. This person was under fire. A helicopter was circling overhead, and she's telling someone that she's on her way to, to go down and shoot an enemy. Okay, that's a totally different style of acting than this little 11-year-old boy who's yelling up to a waterfall and is on a, on a magical quest. Also, you have to consider the venue. One is a cartoon, one is a cinematic video game. Yeah. Totally different deal. So it just depends on what discipline you're in, and you're going to modify your performance for each discipline. I don't know... We just we just paused and we brought it back up. But so if that's a weird jump, I apologize. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, all I was trying to say is whether if you're in movies, you're going to be acting very small because your face is the size of a movie screen. If you are doing television, you're going to be broad but not as broad. If it's sitcom comedy, you're going to be a lot less broad. If it's tight close-ups in a drama, and if you're doing something like voiceover, if you're doing cartoony voiceover. <clears throat> Excuse me, you're going to be way over the top if you're doing dramatic cinematic reads in a video game. It's a completely different story. And if you're doing commercials, you're going to want to give it like a kitchen table read where you're talking to someone who's right across from you, unless it's radio and you're going broad. So, I mean, like, there's so many different disciplines to consider. And I think that's across just about any art form. Emily yeah. was telling us just a second ago that um, she just got a job. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Great. Background painting on a show. And that's a big deal. And and I think that once you get involved in the different disciplines and you can go across, you know, is an actor an actor? Yes, but you need to learn the techniques behind each specific discipline. Like something as simple as don't turn your face away from the microphone. Don't make eye contact with the microphone when you're reading something. Don't look up, you know, like because it changes the sound. You'll tell us that, oh, you yeah. know. And, and if you have to yell, turn your face down. Something little, you know, like little stuff like that makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And going over to Emily specifically, she does background painting and yet she's a colorist in comics. Totally different. And yet art is art, right? But you have to learn. She's nodding at me, but she's got pizza in her mouth because I'm rude and I only ask people questions when they're eating. Um, Always happens to me. Right, right. Um, but it's true. You have to know 
how to go from one medium to the up to the other, right? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. much the same when you think about it on a basic level. Uh huh. It's it's completely different with each different job. Exactly, and that's exactly what I was trying to say. You know, as an actor, an actor, yes, you have to have the basic skill set. You must act. Yeah. But then there's technique, and the same is true for magic. Whether you're doing close up to parlor to stage, sawing a lady in half, you got to know the secrets. But you have to have flair when you're on stage. When you're close up, you got to be a little more believable. And so it's it's uh, the same. It's the same with writing too. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. writing is is storytelling, but there's the quality that you bring to an hour episodic is not necessarily the same. You know, if you'd bring to a you know a six minute short funny cartoon. I mean. Mm -hmm. What what's important is you have to make a connection with the audience. You have to engage them with the story you're telling. But um, you know the rules that govern Bugs Bunny do not necessarily govern you know um, an episode of Dexter or something. Like right, that. exactly. And so and also I I just well first of all do you have a favorite medium? What's your favorite kind of thing to write, Paul? Um, probably just just fun cartoon stuff. I mean I it it, it really. I'm not known for writing humor, but I do like humor an awful lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, people mostly associate me, they associate me with anything. It's probably action, adventure, and Batman and stuff like that. But I do like kind of lighter stuff. But I also like any, any chance where I can make the character, whatever character I'm writing, a bit more than what it seems to be to imbue them with a little bit of human emotion. It's all about making the connection with the audience. Yeah. Well, and you know what? That's interesting because that's the same thing for me. But as an actor, if someone said, what do you prefer? I absolutely prefer voiceover to television. Mm -hmm. And I also prefer voiceover, mm, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I kind of prefer voiceover to magic. It's much easier for me. I don't have to bring stuff. I don't have to yeah. be two steps ahead. I'm in the moment. And all that improv stuff that I love so much and that no preparation, see to your pants, let's wing it, let's go, 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 give me another one, totally different. The, the fluidity and the freedom that comes with voiceover is whereas magic tends to be, although it looks free, it is completely rigid. In order, you have to be two steps ahead, and you have to, you know, flick lever A in order for B to spring open. Oh, yeah. um, and that is true in acting. You know, you need to know where your scene is going, but at the same time, um, there's there's a, like I said, there's a freedom and a fluidity there. The reason I prefer voiceover to television is Kalel Bogdanavi is a voiceover director, and he's he's a writer too, and he is the son of John Bogdanavi, who is a comic book dude who you okay. guys may recognize yeah. the yes. name of mm -hmm. and super nice guy and Kal-El actually made a point where we're working together on a video game that I can't announce yet and he said to me you know what's really interesting about actors is you had a really rough day today and I said I had fun today and he goes think about what you did he asked me do you do any on camera and I said not really and he goes I don't know that you'd like it and and I said why don't you think so because it's always curious when people have an opinion of you and he said well we were here for four hours and he said, a long day or a strenuous day for an on-camera actor who's doing pretty intense stuff is going to be three scenes with maybe one turn in the scene. You start one way and then there's a big, you know, da-da-da kind of moment, you know. Yeah. So maybe three of those. He said, in four hours, you just did 45? He said, you just watched someone get shot in the face? You just did all this stuff with your voice. And he said, and you do it with your body too. You know, you move, most, most really good voice actors do. He said, but it's interesting because you did 40. They do three. Mm -hmm. And then they do it over and over and over and over and over again with light changes. And then they sit while they, you know, on their iPads while they're waiting for everybody to set up for the next thing. And he said, I don't know if it moves fast enough for you. 
He said, I don't know if you would. And I thought that was a really interesting way of putting it. And I thought, yeah, you're kind of right because I do get irritated. I've been on set, you know, and I do sometimes with the lighting changes and stuff, dr drama and, you know, things like that. It's like, okay, do exactly what you did again, exactly like that, but a hair to the left and don't turn your nose past this point because you're out of your light. <laughs> it removes the freedom. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I can't do it and I'm not saying I wouldn't. But what I'm saying is I love the freedom that voiceover offers. Everybody loves voiceover. Every, you know, every time we brought in somebody from the uh, primetime TV world or stage world or whatever, they love the idea that they, one, they don't have to put on makeup or, or, or dress, uh, dress oh, up. Oh, you still should. Yeah, I mean, you really should put on pants when you go in there. I, mean, I don't. I, I make the effort most days. Not every day, but most days. And then... Um, and then they can come in and then just they just play. There's a great sense of play that goes along with it, even when you're doing something dramatic. And um, it's a lot of fun because everybody, I think, fantasize. Most actors, I think, fantasize about you know the old days of radio. It wouldn't have been fun to have been on a radio show. And in some cases, we had people who, um, I mean, with Batman, Bob Hastings, who played Commissioner Gordon, was on radios for year was on radio for years as Archie, if you can believe that. He went from playing Archie, teenage Archie Andrews, and the in the 40s and 50s to uh, seasoned uh, Commissioner Gordon in the 90s. And, uh, you know, it was great. So, um, and, uh, you know, as, as a writer, I feel like I do really well in cartoons and in animation and comics and things like that. But I like stretching myself, too. And so I'm, I'm going to be taking a class uh, coming up in, uh, screenplay, in screenplay writing because I've written some screenplays. And... Some of the stuff has turned out really well, like, so, but again, you know, mostly in animation, you know, because there's a lot of give and take and, you know, you can bounce ideas off and, and I guess because I was just sitting there writing, uh, you know, because usually I'm hired to write something. So I, you know, like with uh, Batman Beyond or Tom and Jerry or something that I've written in long form, I go in, there's an open door policy with the producers and creators and I have a very clear idea of where I'm get, going. Also, I'm getting paid, and so it has to be in on a certain day. So I feel like I do well, you know, uh, on with because I'm already hired to do the job. Where I've I've written some things uh, on spec, and um, you know, just sort of to have a, a sample. And I don't think I've done as well because you know, it just it just sort of rambles. And so I really need to get that focus and get that. That vision down of, of what I'm trying to to say, and I think being in a class structure, working one on one with another writer, will help me out a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm anxious to do to start doing that in the next. I think it's weeks. also kind of magical that at this point in your career, at this level of success, you still want to take a class and still want to learn. Absolutely. That's, that's what I was saying. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I think that that is so important, it's and so I. It, it's it's awesome, yeah. you know, because what it means is you're going to be a better writer as a result of taking yeah. that class, and you're constantly you're not just sitting there resting on your laurels or looking backward at work that you've done before mm -hmm. and saying, well, you know, laud me and think that I'm great. You're going, no, I want to get better at this because you genuinely love it, which is a point that I wanted to make earlier about genuinely loving what you do. Yeah, you'll work a hundred hour work week and be like, that was fun. Yeah, and what a privilege for all of us to be able to do what we actually dig. And it is so rare and it's so hard, but it's so worth it. So if you guys are thinking about it and there's something that you just really wanna do, start now, do it now, and yeah. see if yeah. you can transition into getting money for it. Do see it if you can, you can. Yeah. yeah, well yeah, you, I mean, how long did you look for a job, a year? Um, about two years from school, I found comic book work, which mm -hmm. was good, but it didn't pay the bills, mm -hmm. and now finally, 
I had almost given up on this job, and they called me, and the same day they called me, I got um, my first actual published comic. Congratulations. Wonderful. Congratulations. It's a big deal. The universe is conspiring in your favor. Obviously. Indeed. And it always is. Yeah. That's something I always tell you. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, like when you look at it that way, like, you know, for example, being an actor, I face rejection constantly. I had a really rough week last week. Mm -hmm. I had a bad day last yeah. Thursday. It was rejection upon rejection to the point where the next morning it was funny. Like it was so bad. I found out I was recast in something. I didn't get a job that I'd wanted since I was a little girl. And it, it was just all friggin' day. I went in and had a voiceover session where the director, who is wonderful and a really great director and I love working with her, tore me up in the first 15 minutes. Like, it was a throat ripper. I was doing roars right off the bat and it was a creature thing. And I shouldn't have been doing roars first. I should have done them last, you know, so that I could go home. And I was swallowing scabs all the next day, which is so disgusting, but my cords were bleeding. And I mean, that happens, yeah. you know? And I mean, it's it makes you sick and queasy because you know you're ingesting blood. I know. And and it's just like, and I, I was ripped up, I was sad, I was distraught, I had a seance and a session the next day, I was worried about my voice, I had rejection from start to finish, and you're like, why? Why am I even going to work? Nobody likes me, but I kept going. And I took a couple days off, and I missed a ton of, I missed a ton of auditions over the weekend and stuff, because it was like, you know what? I'm a grief. I'm gonna let myself be sad about this because this, and I usually don't get like that. Like you turn auditions in and they just kind of go off to the ether and it's like you hear you booked a job and it's just good news. Mm -hmm. Like you don't think about all the jobs you don't book. At least that's right. how I cope with it. Me too. Um, and and I, I just don't even, you know, it's like, oh, that would be nice. That would be nice. But that one audition, I really wanted it and I did not get it. And I really worked hard on it. And it was pretty devastating. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, that's, the job's just not for me. And I have a totally healthy attitude about it every other time, but that one I wanted. Okay, well, I didn't get it. So next, you know, Jonathan actually gave me a really nice mantra for that. The two it's magic two words, words long, shit. Next, yep. and you just gotta move on. Because if I sit and let that ruin me, I'm never gonna work again. Mm -hmm. And that's dumb, that's a stupid choice. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line is, I love what I do. So the only way is to get back on the horse. I gave myself a couple days off, you know, and I was like, I, I still was working. I mean, I had a ton of other stuff to do, but right. it was just like, okay, let's be sad. That's okay to be sad, let it go. Grieve it and move on. Mm -hmm. And now I could talk about it, no problem. I'm not sad about it anymore because I understand why. For the most part, I get why I wouldn't have booked that. It's a different job than what I was in my brain applying for. Mm -hmm. You and I talked about it a little yeah. bit before we, you know, like what it was. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to get into what it is because it's not my place to say. But um, it was like, okay, I see why what I did would not apply to what the job actually is. Yeah. And so the job that I wanted since I was a little girl kind of doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And that's not... You know, so, so you just have to put things into a healthy perspective. And as Emily said, don't give up. You're going to hear no a million times, but when someone says yes, you're in. Yeah, you're going to feel like people aren't listening to you or you're going to feel like uh, people are telling you you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to them as long as you believe in yourself. Yeah. yeah, well, and, and also, Lorne Michaels, when we went yeah. to this Emmy Awards thing, the night we met Scott Adsit, actually, yeah. said someone asked him, and, and I just want to put this point of perspective on it, you have to have a reasonable level of skill yeah, in the well, thing that you love. Because yeah. that if you don't, then you're going to hear no for the rest of your life and you're going to be constantly dismayed. Because you might not be good at X, 
but adjacent to x is x.2, two degrees away from x, that is still x, but it's different enough that your skill set totally applies. So if you hear no enough, change your direction, but don't stop doing, you know, like if you love to draw, but you can't really draw on model, you're probably not gonna draw Simpsons comics, but if you love to draw and you're pretty good at it, you might be able to do commission paintings. If you, you know, in, in which case that's a totally new thing that you hadn't considered. You might be able to open a deviant art shop and make a living. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's, there are so many. exactly where, how I ended up where, what I do now. I started off starting off with music. I tried playing instruments. I tried singing. I tried acting. I tried all sorts of things. And then I found sound. And somebody needed something done during one of the performances. I just picked it up. I'm like, hey, this comes naturally. This is easy. This is in the area that I want to be. And it still involves me in everything I want to be in. I have this knowledge that nobody else has. That's where it was. That happened to me in college also. I, I... Originally went to Emerson College um, on an acting major, and mm -hmm. I love acting, and mm -hmm. I love to act, and I and um, it's it's fun when somebody uses me in in it, Bless or you. I do a little write a little part in for myself in a cartoon or something like that. I love doing it, but loving doing it and making a career out of it, I discovered were two different things, and I really hated the times when I had to make a career out of it, when I had to go on calls. And I had to walk into a room feeling like, well, I'm going to be a brand new take on the young 20-year-old, because at the time I was like 20 years old, the young 20-year-old, the young kind of quirky 20-year-old guy. And I'd walk into a room and there was a room full of slightly chubby 20-year-old guys all wearing sweater vests and saddle shoes and my exact glasses. And I'm going like, oh man, this is... This is not what I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. It's like, here I am one of many. I didn't know there were this many guys who looked like me or who I was trying to look like. At any, at any rate, I'm, I'm kind of bumping here and I really hate the idea that I'm going to have to make a career out of doing this. And so as acting was saying no to me, writing was saying yes because I was having a lot more success in pitching ideas and writing. Mm -hmm. And I liked writing just as much. In fact, I liked it better because... When I would go into audition, I would read some copy and I'd go like, oh man, this is real crap. How, how? And this is getting produced. This is getting uh, on stage. This is, they're they're going to mount this as a play and they're going to take it to New York. Uh, this is illiterate. You know, I can write better stuff than this. And uh, so ultimately... But here's the thing. Yes. You as a writer are an actor because you get into the character's head. We've talked about your process on here before. Sure. When you're writing Batman, you are Batman. You make the faces while you're writing his dialogue. Sure. When he does the Joker, he curls his fingers up and he walks around the house and does this thing. And it's like, Jesus, Paul. You know, I mean, so he's got it in him to play yeah. all those characters uh -huh. and he does play them on paper. Yeah. And so it's so interesting and that's why I think your dialogue sings, why your dialogue, I think, sings as well as it does because mm -hmm. You get into their heads, and you are them, and you're improvising in character and writing down your improv. Right, and you that's know, what you do. You know, I mean, it's like so. And I, I don't know any other writers who I, I don't know. Maybe they all do, but I know that's your process. So you have to be an actor to be a writer the way you write. Well, when I design, thank you, but and you know that is true, and and it's also like when I work with a, with a really cool uh, artist, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's Bruce Tim or Glenn Murakami or. Um, some of the other, you know, terrific guys I've, I've had a, an opportunity to work with, Jay Bone and, of course, Alex Ross and stuff like that. You know, um, it, it's, I try and bring what I can to the process. And if it's a character that I've created myself, I try and get that character as much in my hands and in my brain as I can by designing it or doing renderings of it or doing sketches of it. Even though 
I don't have a lot of faith in my finished work. I don't like it as much as what somebody else that I work with can bring to it. So I would rather design a character and give it to somebody like David Alvarez, who will do exactly... No, he won't even do exactly what I what I see it. He'll do it a step better. Stephanie Gladden does it a step better and gives it a life that I can't have. It's sort of like being a band leader and you say to the <clears throat> the guy playing the saxophone, I want kind of a sad sound here if you can do that and maybe you can pick it up and go womp, womp, womp. But, you know, knowing knowing which, which you know, how to, how to finger it a little bit is not like being uh, Zoot Sims who can give it a life all its own and everything. Right. But you know it when you hear it. But that doesn't necessarily discount, you know, having a band leader if you've got a, a team that plays well together. So, but it's like, you know, so it, it, it is very gratifying. Oh, I think I should announce something as long as we're talking about collaboration and everything. All right. And that is uh, by the time this you hear this episode, and this is not an April Fool's joke. I was planning on launching on an April Fool's Day, but I didn't think anybody would take me seriously. <laughs> by the time you re you hear this, which should be your early... Um, Early in April. This podcast will self-destruct. <laughs> no, no, although I might. Um, uh, I am launching a new website uh, at long last called paulvini.com. So I've never had a website under my own name. There's always been jinglebell.com, and I've been popping up on Twitter and Facebook and other places. Well, that's because you had a very good friend who secured the domain name for me. Mark for Evanier, you. thank you Mark very Evanier. much. Mark oh, Evanier. When God. the internet was becoming popular, yes. really? he got all of his friends.coms to make sure that his friends would have the yes. opportunity to have the .coms. So we, wow. we owe and Mark so a Sunday gravy night at Rouse was a thank you. We do. We <laughs> really do, because he did that... What was it? Fifteen years ago, he's yeah. had it, and he's kept it renewed. Yeah, and he did it wow. for a couple people. And that's that's who Mark Evanier is. He's he is that guy. He uh, is a righteous human of the he first is, order. That was very nice. And so finally, Paul said, "Hey, I'm having this site constructed. Yeah. You mind sending it over?" And yeah. Mark said, "Absolutely. I think yeah. you should have it." So yeah. he did it. Yeah. I said, "What do I owe you?" He goes, "Buy me dinner some night." So yeah. It's like, so oh, there you go. Yeah. So yeah, because he held on to it for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And uh, so we are going live. Paulvini.com and a great site designed by uh, Kevin McShane. Yeah, he did a good job. Uh, who you guys would probably we should have him on here. Yeah. His fake Maybe. Stan Lee. Yeah. Oh, we should have Stan fake Stan. Lee. Oh, we should have had him on for uh, April Fool's Day. You know Dang, what? April yeah. Fool's Day is going to be over by the time this airs. I know, I know. It's too much. <laughs> but I'm very excited about the website. Kevin did a great job on. Kevin on, does a great job on, on everything he does. Yeah, everything. Too, yes, he did. Bizarro is helping me out, keeping the the content up it's to date. Old home week up in here. We got a very tight community. Yes. We got Bizarro, who they know. They they know fake Stan Lee. I mm -hmm. bet. They know Evan here. Yep. Yeah. We and got nothing I'll... new. Now they know Scott Ansett. Yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. And, what, and the reason I wanted to start the site was a, a way of communicating directly and saying, okay, this is what I'm working on now. This is what I've got coming up. This is a way of me warming up in the morning by ha posting journal entries. You and, used to do that all the time. Yeah. But, I remember when we were dating you at that website. Well, that was JingleBell.com. No, uh, oh, yeah. The, well, the live journal I got you. Yeah. I still have JingleBell.com, but and that's still a good way of connecting with that character. Well, I but, just remember you used to make those journal entries and have J-Bone illustrate them. Oh, that was fun. And I always it? thought that was really cute. Oh, yeah. I like the way he draws you. I, I little do, Little Campbell's too. Soup Kid. Yeah. Your little, little swoopy hairdo. Two-tone two suit. A two-tone uh, two, shirt. Two shirt that you still wear. Yeah. And... Um, so that so that's what's coming here. I'm not the I'll still be writing. Unfortunately, Jay is way too busy to do illustration, but 
I am doing a, a weekly comic feature, at least for the foreseeable future, where I'll be using some of the characters that I've created over the years. You won't see Batman or Harley or anybody like that there, but we're kicking off with a Mutant Texas uh, series, which will run for a few months that yeah. I'm writing and um, David Alvarez is drawing, and that's a lot of fun. So I think throughout the year, you'll see Mutant Texas and uh, Polly the Witch and uh, maybe Rashi showing up in like Sunday comic format. Oh, dream on, pal. Oh, okay. I'm above this. Oh, come on, Rashi. You'll help out for all time. I will so. not help without anything for nothing ever, no. You, I'll, I'll pay you your weight in bananas. I'll consider it. Okay, Call great. my agent. <laughs> he, he, he won't do it. I negotiated 10% banana for myself. That's a pretty good deal. I like your agent. I, I kind of like your agent better than mine. Anyway, uh, so um, so that'll be going on there. And, uh, of course, Jingle Bell around Christmas and stuff like that. I, I still have the Jingle Bell website, but, you know, I put out a new issue, what, once every two years? And that's when I update the site. So, you know, it's not exactly uh, uh, of the moment. But uh, check out paulvd.com mm -hmm. starting, um, starting right now. And uh, you can uh, uh, Congratulations to Thank you. you. That's yeah. been a long time in coming. And Thank you. I know how much work you guys put into it, and it's a really nice destination site. That you guys did really nice work. Yeah, it's very I, fun. Thank you. I, I I just want to make sure that we stay up to date, and the the this stuff is, you know, the new comic goes up every every two weeks. And Bizarro's going to do that for you. I think. Yeah, I discussed it with him. He's so, a good dude. Yeah. Very nice. And guy. also update what I'm working on, and there's like a thousand things I don't know. You know, you look at a website, you can click here and there and everything, and it's still a riddle to me how to how to do a lot of that stuff. So. Mm -hmm. At least for the foreseeable future, I'm going to rely on. Well, you know, we can, can maybe have him over here for a weekend, and he could show you, and you could practice. Too. Well, that would be good too. Yeah. That would be nice. I mean, uh, like I said, he works I with like me on the magic. Things. He works with you on the tech stuff. Yeah. Bizarro is an is an anomaly. He is good at everything he does, and he is so passionate, and he's mm -hmm. so giving, and he's so generous with his time. Yeah. You know, I mean, he is just. It is amazing to me, and I and I hate to say this, but it's honest. It's amazing to me that he's come as far as he has in entertainment being as giving as he is. Yeah. You know, and I know that that's part of the reason why he's come that far, but at the same time, I feel like he could be 10 times farther if he would reserve what he gives away for himself. But yeah. as a recipient of someone who has been his student for years, who has received his aid, he has constructed props for me, he's built websites for me, he's edited <laughs> photos and videos, and, and I, I mean, so much for me over the years. I am so eternally grateful to that guy. Well, I think if it's you give so for great. the right reasons, like you have a giving heart and a giving nature and you want to... Share what you know with people who are of like mind. I think that all comes back to you in some form. I think it does too. And I think that he is pretty judicious about who he gives his time to as right. well, especially now. Because I feel like he kind of has to be. Uh -huh. But the dude consults for David Copperfield, but he'll build me a special magic trick if I need it. Or he'll log on to Skype and show me how to perform a slight. Wow. You know, I mean, he's just like, yeah, just get on Skype right now. I, he, I can't pay him. Yeah. He won't let me. He's like, oh, hello, we've been friends forever. No, mm -hmm. but I don't have anything to offer him back. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, he just, yeah. well, there's that. Yeah, but yeah. but you you get it. You yeah, know, yeah. it's kind of like, well, where's the currency? And he's just a really solid guy. But I did do something for him. I put him in touch with George R.R. R. Martin, and he's performing uh, in Santa Fe. Yeah. So I guess maybe I did do something yes. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. About that, I'm sure. I spoke very highly of him in my show, mm -hmm. and George watched me perform The Sands, and I speak about three magicians that I work very well with and love dearly, mm -hmm. two of whom have already been on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Actually, yeah. And um, 
And I, I speak of them, and George said, you know what? He goes, I want to bring more magic in, and I don't want to put all the weight on you. And I said, I don't want to come here four times a year, George. He goes, no, no, I get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I'll be there twice. I'm going back in October. Mm-hmm. And he said, but I listened to you talk about the magicians tonight, and can you tell me a little more about Bizarro? And I said, oh, can I? <laughs> and he said, can you send me his website? Can you put me in touch with his video? And, you know... And uh, so I sent it to them, and they've been going back and forth. And I don't know if they have a show date set or what, you know, if they're able to work it out. I don't know. But I do know that Jimmy was pretty, Jimmy is Bizarro's real name, that he was really excited. Yeah. You know, so, and, and so I guess I did do him kind of a solid. I mean, introducing mm-hmm. someone to George R. R. Martin is a nice thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure. That's nice, yeah. yeah. All right. Bizarro's a good name to uh, invoke in conversation. I remember when we were working on Tower Prep, I would, Bizarro was actually staying with us for a while. Yeah, and so a couple it's days. Like, What's going on at home? You know, we'd be sitting around the table. What's going on at home? Well, Bizarro's staying with us a week. And I remember uh, Darren Morgan would always sit up and go, Bizarro? You know, you actually know somebody named Bizarro? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's not, you know, Bizarro number one, you know, yeah, goodbye, yeah. me, am Bizarro Superman. Well, that would be cool, but it's like, it's a. <laughs> no, very I don't want Bizarro uh, Superman up in here. Very good. Uh, he sucks. Who, Bizarro <laughs> Superman? Just stupid yeah. and dangerous? No, I don't want anything about him. I don't want him. Well, he's entertaining to watch. He's just not He's entertaining to watch as someone else's house guest. Yeah. I don't want no. him here. No. We have the Bizarro Magnet on the fridge. That's as far as it goes. Okay, all right. Anyway. So Darren Morgan liked his name? Yeah, I loved, I loved the fact that we knew somebody named Bizarro. It's funny. When I got into magic, people named Scorpio and Angel. Well, not Angel so much, but Scorpio and Uncanny and Bizarro were calling the house. And my mom's like, did you join a weird biker gang? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is it? Who are these people? It was very funny. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, they're good. They're good, good boys. All yeah. of them. Yep. Love them. Yep. Love them all. Anything else to discuss this week? Anything, uh, anything pertinent, pressing, interesting, or outrageous? My uh, art of illusion. I don't know if I talked about shooting this. I was so busy over the past couple of months, but now yes. this, now all the work I was doing is starting oh, to air right. on television. If you guys get Ovation TV, uh, they have a show called The Art of, and you've got to log on and find because the Ovation TV is like up in the two hundreds. I think it's not easy to find. Mm-hmm. Um, but they came and did a full piece on Chad Allen, who's the blind magician. I did yeah. the Tommy Edison piece with, and myself. Mm-hmm. And so that that'll be airing. I have no idea how long our segment will be. I don't know if they shot other magicians. I know nothing. Yeah. But I got the releases today, so I know right. I'm in the episode for sure. They requested a ton of extra footage, which is, let's hope that's good. Yeah. You know, but they asked for the straitjacket. They asked for footage from Santa Fe. They asked for wow. so much stuff. Um, so that's exciting. That's coming on. Uh, I'm trying to think if I had any other projects come out. The only one that I can think of, I was recasting. Wah, wah. Wow. Oh. Uh, I don't know. We we still haven't found you yet, but Bioshock's uh, uh, DLC is all done. They just released their last content. I'm hoping to find your voice at some point. You know, someone said someone sent me a note that said, "Oh no, it was uh, The Last of Us." Somebody somebody got onto my Twitter today and said, "Hey, I didn't know you were in The Last of Us." Well, I mean, you're in the DLC, but it's still The Last of Us. And I thought. Bitch, I'm all over The Last of Us. What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah. I'm clicking up in your ears from the beginning of that yeah, shit. Yeah, there you go. Bioshock, I don't know where I am, but the yeah. you know Grand Theft Auto, good friggin' luck. But uh, I know where I am. I'm all through I, The Last I'm of Us. pretty sure from what you told me last time that your content is in some of the DLC content for Bioshock. It might be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I don't know. I don't get paid again. 
<laughs> you get paid one session fee and then you're done. But I, I always look forward to hearing your voice. <laughs> I, I, I want to get to the point where you go, that was your voice? That yeah, was yeah. you? Well, it usually is. I mean, that's, that's how I was half convinced you'd already been in the game and I missed you. So. Oh, well, that's from what I understand, I am, I am in the yeah. game. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of Easter egg stuff and a lot of on beach well, things. I haven't finished and... playing uh, the last concert. Yeah. I'm hoping that I hear you. Yeah, I've got a friend named Isaac who's been, every time I say I'm in a video game, he plays it and he goes, what were you? <laughs> and he'll and he's starting to grab it for me, you okay, know, like great. he actually oh, and he, nice. he buys the DLCs like I did the Dominatrix in Saints Row Four, yeah, that DLC, mm -hmm. and so Isaac plays it and he grabs it so that I'll be able to put together some kind of an animated demo Very with cool. the actual mm -hmm. game footage, which nice. is nice. Yeah. And he charges me like a, you know like a simple hourly fee. Mm -hmm. If he's gonna buy the game anyway, he doesn't even charge me for the game, yeah. and he's just like, no, the only thing you need to do is if I'm gonna play it and beat it anyway, if I gotta go back. You know, like if if and if I yeah, if I gotta go back and look for it, and I gotta play up to that point. Mm -hmm. You know, he said I'll I'll get a, a certain level of proficiency and then go back and get it for you. But it's nice to have. Yeah. And he went back and grabbed a bunch of Aunt May and Salem's Witch and mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so I'm excited for for the new stuff to come out. Season three. Yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. say anything about that. Yeah. Has that been announced that there's a season three? Uh, somebody asked should me say online. That. Somebody asked me online about that today and they said, when is Ultimate Spider-Man season three happening? And I said. I don't know. I haven't heard, and I and I wrote back honestly. I don't know. I haven't heard when when they're planning to premiere it. My guess is sometime in the fall. Oh, the fall, huh? Or or over the summer. Poo -poo. But but uh, I'm very excited. I've not I've not heard anything like that. But, you know, usually Disney starts plugging it about a month in advance or something mm -hmm. like that. So well, have they even announced that there is one though? That's what I'm asking you. They have announced there is a season okay. three. They have been mum on the details. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. More than that, I don't know. Yeah. I honestly, don't, and I'm not being cagey. I just don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh, Final Fantasy. Yeah. Final, I was in Final Fantasy this well, last iteration. Played Primrose and some preacher yelling at people. It was Diablo 3. I got cut. Oh. Like, I got cut out of Diablo oh, 3. Oh, you got cut out of it? I was the Death Maiden. But I, I've been doing a lot of these DLC things. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of them. I just mm -hmm. did one yeah. Thursday. I did one, which I can't tell you about. I did, uh, like I said, I did Saints Row 4. And they, what's nice for voice actors specifically is when they bring you back to do the DLC. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You get another session. And we don't get residuals, you guys, on any of this stuff. Right. You know, because owing to the union rules, I do all union work, but owing to the union rules, they didn't negotiate that. And back when video games were first coming out, yeah. the guys who were making the games were doing Mario. You know, mm -hmm. like that, no one cared. And, and their argument... The first started coming out. None of the actors got residuals for that. Mm -hmm. Right. No, and eventually it changed. But, yeah, you know, I mean, Skylanders... this will change, but... Uh, I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. There are a lot of, unfortunately, the union's legs kind of get cut off. And I, maybe, I don't know if it's okay. I guess it is okay, because it's pretty common knowledge. Uh, the union's legs have been cut off by non-union actors because so many non-union actors make so much money non-union Yeah. that... A producer finds out that they can go non-union and they don't have to pay into your pension. They don't have to worry about session limitations. Like they can negotiate that actor by actor. So for example, if they want you to scream for four hours and your voice can handle it, the union says you can only scream as a creature for two hours. That's it. If it's screamy, you're done at two. This person says, well, can you scream for four? Because I'm going to have you scream for four then. And if you negotiate that as an actor non-union, the union has no say. But as far as this stuff is concerned, initially when they were casting this stuff, they were casting it from in the office. Yeah. And that's why so many bad old video, you know, old oh, video yeah. game acting is just dreadful. But 
they, the producers came in when they were negotiating the deals with the union and said, nobody gives a shit what Mario sounds like. I don't need some Italian actor with a really good accent because Jeremiah over in marketing does Mario's voice and everybody plays it. Nobody cares. I don't care about your union actors. I'm not paying them a percentage of my profits. No way. Yeah. And so you've got something like Skylanders, a franchise I am thrilled, thrilled to be involved with. Skylanders, where they make a billion dollars, and then I go in, I record once, I get one session fee. That's it. So the money I made that day, whatever that dollar amount was, is all I'm ever going to make on Star Strike. Unless they bring me back another time to record additional dialogue, which they usually don't do. So because they usually kind of get it, they kind of cover their bases because the Skylanders don't talk that much. Yeah. But they can release regular Star Strike. Eyes glowing star light core is what they call it. Light core star strike. Now there's an enchanted star strike who's black and white. Every one of those star strikes has my voice, but I don't get paid again. You know what I'm saying? So so the union really lost all that. We don't get residuals. It's the same with animation writing because yeah. when when animation you know was was first covered under a union in, in around 1940, there was you know it was animation shops. If you work for an animation shop, you work for whatever the boss was willing to pay. You. Yep. And if you worked at a at a sweatshop, you got paid rock bottom. If you worked at a place like Disney, your salary depended on whether or not Walt liked you or not. You know, if you were one of Walt's key guys, if you'd known him a while, if you were always there coming up with good gags and and working around the clock, you know, he took care of you. Or I, I even think he offered some stock options to some guys. You Oof, know, that's a gift. Way back when, yeah. I would have taken Well, I think that's how Ward Kimball got to afford that big railroad going around his, his property. Him. But if you were a rank-and-file guy, you know, you were just taking the minimum and, and you could be out of there. You know, and there was no job security. That's why there was the big strike in animation. And that's why Walt took it so personally because he thought, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm treating you guys kind of like friends and family, and now you all are, want want me to pay more for what I don't feel is necessarily the same work. and But eventually he had to acquiesce for that. So everything, animation, story, design, was all lumped under you know the animation union. And it stayed that way for a long time because back then, traditionally, cartoons were written by gag men who pinned up bits and pieces here and there. And occasionally they would write up a script or a detailed outline and then they would give that to the story people to to broaden and, and, and work out in different sequences. But it wasn't like screenwriting where you sat and you, where you wrote something, you handed it in, you always had the union kind of there looking out for your back. And that persisted up until the 60s and 70s when the rules changed, where once it got into television, you didn't have the luxury of working, of, of spending you know, months working out a story. Right. You had to get it done really quick. So you were, you were writing scripts and giving that to the storyboard artists and all, everybody else down the production line. So by the 70s, when they were hiring uh, script editors, story editors, you know, freelance writers, they were writing things and it was under the same rules. And that's largely stayed that way to, to this day where animation writing is a craft and not, not under the same uh, umbrella as the Writers Guild. Although there are exceptions. Like if you are writing for a primetime show like The Simpsons or Family Guys, they want primetime sitcom type writers so they're able to negotiate a separate deal if they want you badly enough you know then you're uh, you're under that certain deal and i've been able to negotiate things here and there under writers guild uh contract but for the most part it's it's under you know 830 the local 839 and they just say you know what 
you're not really writing. You're kind of, we, we look upon you as like akin to the storyboard artist, and the storyboard artist doesn't get any residuals, neither does a designer or anything like that. Right. So um, that kind of sucks. They could take a script of mine and print it and reprint it and They could even take your story want. ideas and put it in another medium. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that's been known to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it's all what, you know, whatever the, the studio... Uh, yeah, Whatever it's the, it's the deal you make. It's the deal you make. You know, and so you have to ask for stuff. And the other thing is, you know, like you have to know that it's out there to ask for it. Yeah, and you can you always know, walk like, away. You can, you can always walk away. But so many, going back to what I was talking about, about the interactive deal with the union and stuff, and I don't know how interesting this is going to be to our listeners. I'm sorry if it's boring the piss out of me. Okay, okay, well, you know... I, That's the, one. Okay, so yeah. good, good, good. Yeah. You know, but the, but the issue is so many people are willing to work just to say, for example... I am a Skylander because it's cool yeah. to be a Skylander. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. cool. Um, Richard Horvitz, who I was talking about earlier and what a nice, wonderful guy he is, is chaos on there. You know, you have to know what other people are getting and you have to talk about it in order to know what to ask Activision for mm -hmm. and what they will and will not bend on what they've granted and not granted in the past. And you have to be willing to take that risk to say, uh, excuse me, guys, you know, but typical animation scale is $800 and you made a billion dollars. Can I maybe get double scale or triple scale this time? You know, and they might say yes, they might say no, and you have to be okay with it because this is your business. Or if you're writing you the game, be, you, they may say, we made no money on this game. Right, which they sometimes <clears throat> which do because they write off the profit versus the loss on another game. Yeah. Activision will say, well, you know, we brought back Pitfall and it was a Pitfall. So we have to write off the $700 million we lost on Pitfall with the billion we made on this. So technically, yeah. we came out $300 in the wash, which it turns out is exactly what this one cost to make. So we made $0. But mm -hmm. that's a residuals argument, which I don't have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you want Misty Lee, you have to pay Misty, Misty Lee's rate. Misty Lee's rate is X. But I'm not really anybody. Like, I'm not famous. And I'm not, you know, like, I'm not really somebody that, you know, and that's Heather's issue. Do you know, that's my agent's issue to work out. But I have to be ready from a business perspective to say, well, oh, well, Skylanders doesn't pay. It was fun to do once, you know, yeah. but we couldn't work out a deal. Or, oh, cool, I'm glad I asked for that. It's nice to do this. It's, I'm happy to be here. You know, and, and it's really interesting. The only way you're going to find out that stuff is by talking to other actors, but it's so strongly discouraged. And that's part of what the union is for, because the union guarantees that no matter who you are, if you're in there doing creatures, you're only going to be in there for two hours because they protect and they talk to. I've had meetings with like the union interactive stewards and stuff like that. And they said, what would you change if anything? What's been hard on you? What do you consider vocally stressful? Other than a hike in pay, everybody wants more pay. What do you find... Uh, difficult for you in a session and how can we as a union protect you better and I said residuals and they started laughing and they were like yeah we're not gonna even fight for residuals you know like we just can't because their legs are cut off because again interactive is huge and so many people want to do it that they're working out their own deals non-union you know if you're a celebrity uh mocap actor which they're coming you know, people, and I don't know what Troy Baker does or what his deal is, but he's the closest thing that I can personally think of. Like Troy Baker and Jennifer Hale and Nolan North, the Uncharted mm -hmm. guy. 
You know, Troy Baker was the lead in The Last of Us. He was the lead in Bioshock Infinite. Mm -hmm. Nolan North was the lead in Uncharted. They used his face. Yeah. Jennifer Hales and everything. Like, those three people are probably above the union. Way above. You know, like double, triple, quadruple, quintuple scale. Or they do their deals non-union. For a lump sum, you get them X amount of dollars a day. This is what their expectations are. But if I don't talk to Troy Baker or Jennifer Hale, I don't know what they're making. I don't know what to ask for. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's really fascinating from a business perspective, finding that happy medium, or your agent finds that happy medium, where they say, okay, well, Misty's very busy, and Misty costs this. You must pay at least this for Misty. That means I have to be a commodity in voiceover that people want me specifically. They can't just plug anybody into that role. Yeah. And I have to be okay with them saying, eh, we're going to try to plug somebody else into that role. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's trying to find that that happy medium. Yeah. And, that, and that's something, yeah. It's the same thing as a creator, you know, like I'll go into a meeting and then the people will say, we love Jingle Bell, we're huge fans, we really want to, you know, put her on TV and make her, you know, like the, 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 a new holiday icon and we'll pay you X amount of, you know, for the, uh, for a hold on the rights and Y for, you know, once we've, once you've developed the character and written a few scripts for us and we've all had our input, we'll pay you Y and, with them, we'll own the character in all perpetuity and all rights and everything. And, mm -hmm. and that'll end your association with the character. And I'll look at what they're offering total, and it'll be like, you know, I can write a couple, you know, two or three cartoon scripts for somebody else and make the same money, and yep. you own my character, and it's just not worth it. And yep. they'll say, well, we can't believe that you're passing up a, a sweet deal like this. And it's like, it is a sweet deal for you. Exactly. For, for me, I'll eat my heart out every Christmas when I see her on TV and realize, you know, it's like, I, you know, I can barely, you know, like, I can barely afford to watch the TV, much less, uh, you know, yeah. go out on e and eat on what And you yet you guys for. are making a billion dollars off my character and the licensing, et cetera. Yeah, and absolutely. And then they'll say, okay, well, the deal ends here. And, and then they'll say, okay, uh, I'm good with that. And sometimes they call you back and go, well, you know, we said the deal was over, but... And also something else to consider, you know, yeah. as a writer or as a creator or whatever, is the fact that you hear, oh, so-and-so got a $200,000 book deal. Well, that sounds like a lot of money, but, but that $200,000 is the overall umbrella book deal. All deals are step deals. You know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, I walk in for a voiceover contract. I walk in, I do it, we're done. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's it. But for the most part, when you're doing a creator type deal, you walk in and I was just reading an article about this fashion journalist who's broke and had a $200,000 book deal. And she was like the celebrated, she was like the babe of the day. Everyone was so excited for her. Mm -hmm. But... She started, she got a $50,000 upfront, you know, for like an option. So they yeah. gave her $50,000 to begin. Then she got $50,000 on acceptance of manuscript. Mm -hmm. So she, she's written it, it's in. Then she got $50,000 for, for something else. And then at the end, she got an additional $50,000 once it met its sales requirements. So it was not, you know, like, it, I mean, it was, it, and it was broken down over like, two years, yeah. which $100,000 a year is a lot of friggin' money to write a book. Don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but you're getting it in $50,000 increments. A, it's not even billable until that step is finished. Mm -hmm. And B, once you do bill it, they have until however long it takes them to pay to pay you. Mm -hmm. And so you get these huge checks. You got to pay half of it to taxes and it kind of chunks down and it's not as easy. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, you make, I don't know, $25,000 to write this thing. Yeah, it's $25,000, but you start at premise. Then you go to outline. 
then you go to first draft, then you go to second draft, then you go to maybe third draft, then you go to polish, then you go to acceptance of final script, then you go to recording and finalization and ADR edits, and now over all that time, and sometimes it can take three to six months, yeah. you get your $25,000. And you don't know if they're gonna exercise their option for step two. You know, so like you turn in your premise and they pay you for your premise, but in your contract, you're not guaranteed to go to outline. They might buy your premise and give it to someone else to go to outline. You haven't made $25,000. You made 500 bucks. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. You made 500 bucks or more or whatever you make. I'm just making up numbers, you know, but you made 500 bucks to write a paragraph, but that paragraph was a really good idea for whatever show these people are doing based on your breadth of knowledge, based on your understanding of the characters, based on your understanding of the world, the way that they're representing the world in this specific show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all those years of experience, then you sell the premise. And when you boil it down, like it takes, it's not, it's like, my God, you get that much money for just writing a paragraph? No, you get that much money for knowing the characters, knowing the show, knowing the tone, coming up with a unique and original way to move those characters around to tell a story mm -hmm. and falling within the genre that they want to put forward. Mm -hmm. Then once you turn that in, they might go to outline. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy the way that stuff breaks down. And so you hear these huge yeah. numbers, that's not what they are. No, it all sounds good up front, you know, when they yeah. make the press announcement. And there have been plenty of times, you know, well, I'll look, you know, I'll read an announcement where somebody I know. A million like, dollar deal. Joe Schmo sold his comic book for a million dollars. It's like, oh man, nobody's ever offered me a million dollars. Well, they didn't really offer it to Joe Schmo either. It's sort of like, right. you. it's like looking on a slot machine. You could win a million dollars if you keep Totally, playing. that's exactly what it is. It's all inflated to be impressive. It's like looking at a big, huge, gigantic frog that's all swollen up, you know, and then once you let the air out of it, it's like, it's about that big, a little tiny little peeper. Yeah. It also makes the people buying it for the million dollars look good. Like, oh, we think this is worth this much. We're going to put this much effort into it. Right, but the little star, like Frog said, the, like Frog said, Frog said. <laughs> the, little, the little star, like Paul said, yeah. the little asterisk above that amount of money is yeah. if we exercise all steps of the yeah. deal and if we end up paying you. Because a lot of, you know, we've got a couple friends that have done business with some studios. Oh, and they've had million still, dollar deals and they're still, still waiting, waiting for the first to be payment. paid. Yeah. Ben Affleck is still waiting for a check on something that he did years and years and years well, ago. Well, I, I can't think tell he's you been, who. I think he's been paid. Maybe, but Maybe. he was waiting forever, you know, yeah. and it's like they just, and it was a huge success. But going back to what I was talking about, they write the success off against the failures and they come up with a big fat goose egg and I'm say, right. And yeah. you will. And Mark Hamill, yeah. return of the Jedi residuals. Oh, yeah. Lucas claims he never, famous. you know, yeah. yeah, you know, and I mean, that's just a, I don't know that from Mark. I know no, that no, from reading from it on the internet. On the internet I just want to say that because we do know Mark, but Mark did not say those words to no, me, you know, so, uh, so yeah. Yeah, even though, even though, um, and it kind of works both ways. I mean, there, but there was something that I, I had hoped to get paid a lot more for, a project that kind of went south. But I did get paid what they owed me for that step. It was a step deal. They were yeah. paying you this much and this much and this much. Yep. Suddenly the project's not going forward or it's mutated. Or, or it's something. mutated into something that is not in your contract and someone else is now getting the money for it. But here is, we'll pay you for this. Yep. And then, you know, and then it's like you take, and then all I have to do is say, well, I was treated fairly. I, this is what, I mean, the deal so was what not you great have to, to do. With, yeah. So what I you have to, to do is you have to analyze each step uh -huh. and you have to, when you're making the deal, say, if this goes no further, 
will I feel like I was paid and compensated appropriately? So like is X amount of dollars okay with me to stop at premise? And you have to have so many projects going on the boiler all the time yeah. because if this one stops at premise and that was all you had going on, uh, how are you going to eat? You know what I'm saying? And so that's, as a freelancer, it's really hard to freelance creatively for and those I, reasons. The money is not what you think. Uh -huh. It takes forever to come in and they could stop at any time. It's like all these little disclaimers. You have to know that. But once you do know that, that's not a big deal. You're just out selling. It's like, okay, well, what is my job actually? My job is to produce good work. Well, that's nice. Mm -hmm. Good. Do that. But also get ready for the next thing mm -hmm. because this could stop at any time. You know, like Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, like it's, we, we've been very lucky that this season was renewed. It was renewed once. We got a season two. It's been announced that it was renewed again. We got a season yeah. three. It, it, it's, train can stop any day. Yeah. Yeah. At any station, at any given time. And that's not the only job. I'm auditioning every single day, hoping for another job to make a little bit more money to make sure that I have money coming in. You know, because even at the height of production, it was one, two days a month because I'm not Spider-Man. Uh -huh. I'm not Drake, you know, Drake made probably a decent living doing that for a while, yeah. you know, for as long as it lasts, Yeah, lasted, lasts, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but I, I mean, it just, you've got to keep going and, and, and going back to what we've been talking about this whole time. If you love it, you'll find creative ways to continue doing what you love. Like you were saying, Ezra, yeah. you found out that you're pretty good at mm -hmm. being on the mic, but you love being off it, but mm -hmm. you knew in your ear holes is what you wanted to do for a living. Yeah. You knew that it was going to be audio. Yeah, you didn't yeah. know what capacity. Those, those yeah. And you kind of danced around the mm -hmm. word audio until you went ping there. Yeah. And you were like, now you've got this, this audio, technical audio side, and you can circle around that word because there are so many subgenres of work. You can yeah. do Foley. You can do voiceover. You can produce music. You can yeah. do After Effects. You can do podcasts. You know, yeah, like you can I do it all. <laughs> right. Because you have to and because you love it. So basically all I'm saying is keep doing what you do. You know, don't yeah. have unrealistic expectations. If you hear the word no enough, maybe flip adjacent to find something you actually really are good at, but don't let the words no stop you. Yeah, and don't, and don't, you know, if you, if you have your heart set on one goal and, and don't be easily dissuaded from that if somebody else, you know, says, hey, wouldn't it be better to do this or that? I, I had something come up today where somebody said about a project, you know, I'm working with somebody on a project and then they said, hey, well, you know, we could do three more and how about we have a meeting on this and get started on it right away? And I said, no, 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 look, we got to, I'm really excited about this one thing. My mind and my heart are kind of with these characters. Let's keep going with that. And then we'll discuss everything else later once this is done and once this is put to bed. Don't, I, I know you, I know you're very excited, but let's finish this first. Yep. Because, you know, it wouldn't be true to myself if I said, oh, really? Okay, let's put these characters on a shelf. Let's go off and do something else. And then you get to be kind of a will of the wisp and you never finish it. Well, and, and not only that, but then you're not finishing your step deal. No. Uh -uh. Because if you don't go to script on something, you don't get paid that script fee. That's right. And That's so right. you want to go to script and you want to finish all those steps yeah. so you can start another step deal for a little bit more money because of the proven success of this last step deal. Mm -hmm. And because the other thing is creatively, it's not just whether or not you can, it's whether or not you finish. Mm -hmm. You know, like the idea, when I got that straitjacket done, it changed my reputation as a magician. Not because the straitjacket is so great. It's a very personal journey and I'm glad it's finished. I'm glad it's out of me because yeah. it was something that I thought about forever. But 
Now I have a finished piece of video that if someone says, hey, do you do a straight jacket? I can go, yeah, and I kind of did it my way and kick them the link. Yeah. And that's done. Mm -hmm. Like, not only did I show up that day, and not only did Renee help me, my friend Renee Gearlitz yes. helped me, she totally co-produced that yeah. thing. And without her, I don't even think it would exist. But not only did we find a venue, I had an idea, we made a storyboard, we found a venue, we got a crew, we set a date, I did costuming, I did my makeup, we brought it all, you know, we did craft services, we went to the dollar store and bought cookies and stuff for everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I paid for it, then we got it edited, we got the sound designed, we got Paul in to act, I went in and did Foley background stuff at Voice Tracks West, mm -hmm. somebody put all that stuff together and now it's on the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like I had to get permission from the domestic violence hotline to use their number, all of it, you know, and so, and, but it's done. And all those steps, getting that done means I can produce. Yeah. Like that's what that shows someone is, hey, I went from idea to completed project and I look at it and I'm like, oh, I wish we'd edited it a little different or I would have tweaked this or I would have done that. Mm -hmm. The timing's a little off here. So what? It's there. Yeah. Next. Now I'm on to the next thing. And while I was doing that, I was working on the ballerina illusion. I'm working on two different separate acts for the Magic Castle. I'm working on George's show for October because I know and that's just the magic side, not to mention the 10 to 15 auditions I do sometimes a day. I, yeah. did, I just did four while you were waiting to set up yeah. for the podcast tonight. Mm -hmm. And that's not all the ones I have, you know? I'm very lucky to get a lot of them. But I'm doing that too. And so many creative projects brings in a consistent paycheck by just doing what I love. And the fact that after all this time, A, you're still taking classes because you yeah. still want to get better. And B, I get paid to do what I love. Emily gets paid to do what she loves. Ezra gets paid to do what he loves. We've all found these niches that we can go around like a solar system. And I just, I guess all I'm trying to say is that's what I wish for everybody. If I had to sum up the creative process in one word, it would be, finish because mm. countless people have said to me over the years either in talks I've given or just casual meetings or comic cons or whatever I'm a writer and I really have some great ideas and I'm working on something what advice can you give me finish it yep get it done and that is the thing finish it's like something. the idea is easy yep the rewriting is a little harder than that but at least you have something to rewrite and the middle is the bitch. Mm -hmm. The middle is time-consuming, it's hard, it's, it's aggravating, and that is a long-distance run. But once you finish it, you've got something there. There's, I've written scripts that I don't, movie scripts I don't think will ever get produced, but I've got something I can look back at, read, and maybe there's an idea I'll take from here and there. Yep. I just came across an old project of, of mine that I wrote 10 years ago that I had artwork done for. I'm bringing it back in and pitching it because now I think the time is right, I, but I've got something solid to show it. If it's just out there as a half-finished thing, and I'm worse than this at anybody, T take my word for it. I've got tons of characters, ideas, and half-finished ideas. That's why I wanna go back to writing class. I need a teacher to kick my ass <laughs> and get it done. Even if it is a C plus you know, read, it could be an a, an easy A once I once I have something to edit and yeah. and, well, and and work that's from. Exactly it. You're saying finish, but it's not just finish and make it perfect. Just finish it in general. Yeah, right. Because like, there's a big there's a big difference between and and you and I, Paul and I have talked about this at length. Between I'm a writer. Well, what have you written? Yeah. Well, I have this idea about no no no. Then you're not a writer. Show me what you've written. Show me what you've done. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like, because a ton of people, that's what you started to say, yes. will uh-huh. come up to him at a Comic-Con and say, I'm a writer and I've got this idea. And Paul's like, great, put it on paper and I wish you the best of luck. Yeah. Because they don't. So many people are gonna, but they never do. And that's the difference between being able to do what you love for a living and only having a dream. And for a lot of people, the dream is enough. And that's okay. If it's the idea of being a writer someday keeps you going and you're really good at selling insurance and that's what you do and you don't really realize it, but that's actually your passion. But the writer thing gives you an outlet and it's kind of fun and you love to generate ideas, but you never want to put them down. And that's what gets you up in the morning to sell more insurance, which is kind of where your skills actually lie. This is all okay, as long as you're happy. But if you really want to be a writer and you want to make a living writing and turning things in or you want to make a living being a magician or being an audio guy or coloring backgrounds and using your art for a paycheck, then you have to finish. If Emily walked in, she might be the greatest artist in the world, but without a portfolio, she's never going to get hired. Good or bad, they need to see your work. It's like math. You've got to show your work. And you could could have the best idea ever, but if it's not done... It's nothing. It's and not. Don't, and it, don't come to me to for for counseling on it. I hate it when somebody either in a, a wannabe writer or a producer with no ideas or whatever says basically says to me, "I'm reaching out to pick your brain." Oh, it's yeah. like, no, you know, you know who says that? Zombies. Zombies reach out to pick your brain, and and I kind of equate you with a zombie. If you're not, if you're aimless and you don't have a story, and you're looking for me to supply the magic beans. I think a lot of working in creative environments is the demystification of the process. Like, what does it actually take to be a writer? You gotta finish. What does it actually take to be a magician? Like, how do you actually finish? Well, you have an idea, then you make what you need to, to accomplish the secret or to accomplish the magical moment. Then you practice, you put it to music, you rehearse it, and you put it in front of an audience. That's mm-hmm. finishing. Mm-hmm. And so, but the demystification of that process, like if you're a series regular on the Warner Brothers lot, where do you park? Like those little things that you don't know that make it this big unknown ethereal. When you start to break down each step and you demystify what it actually takes to be a background painter and what someone needs to see in order to hire you as a background painter, all of a sudden you realize that you really can do this for a living and you really are able. It's, the, it's just going from that, that weird, vague idea of a dream in the cloud, I wanna draw comic books, Well, are you good at drawing? Because if you're not, we need to stop and we need to do something else. Um, If you are good at drawing, you know, like you put together a flow chart. Am I good at drawing? Yes. Am I good at drawing on model? Yes. Am I good at composition? Yes. Can I work in a panel format? Yes. Okay, if all this is yes, do I have anything finished that I can hand to somebody to show them that I have all these levels of proficiency? Yes. Good. Next, who needs to see this? Who's the person who does the hiring? The person over there at Marvel is this person. The person at DC is this person. How do I get to them? I need to go to a Comic-Con or I need to get their address. Who do I call to get their address? How do I get them to look at my stuff? Is this an online thing? You demystify each little step in a very pragmatic way and all of a sudden before you know it, you have a career. Voice acting is the same thing. How do you become a voice actor? Uh Well, if you wanna be a voice actor in animation, you probably gotta come to LA. You look at where's most of it produced. It's produced in LA. Well, who needs to hear you in LA? Who uh-huh. casts that? Do I have a proclivity for it? I need a demo to prove, like a portfolio, what I can do. You can be the best, best damn voice actor ever, but you walk into someone's office and shake their hand, they're gonna say, send me your demo. They need to hear you. They need uh-huh. to see your portfolio, you know, just as any artist. You need to, to figure out, can I do it? Prove you can do it. 
figure out who hires the people who can do it, figure out what requirements there are for doing it, get your stuff in front of that person and get your job. And, and a lot of people, you, you equated this to, you know, to the dreaming stages being up on the cloud. Yeah. And, you know, you got to, you know, we caution you, it is comfortable up on that cloud. And well, you I don't can know. just I'm drift over it. You know, a lot of people stuff. spend a lot of their time up in the clouds dreaming and wishing and hoping and hoping that, you know, somebody, they'll get the lucky break it's or, or, yeah. Well, it's safe to dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the yeah. thing is, is how can you fail? If at any step, you can, you can look at any step in the road like, oh, geez, I didn't make it from point A to point B. I failed. Mm -hmm. Did you fail or do you need to rethink, re-strategize and come at it again a different way? You know, because if you know you can draw, you know you can draw and model, you know exactly what the requirements for that gig are, and you know that you're appropriate for it, and you can execute that well, it's only a matter of time and figuring out how to go around any obstacles or barriers to get there. Because the bottom line is, as far as, cre and I can only speak from creative environments because that's what we do here. Sure. Um, they're always looking. Everyone really is looking for fresh talent. Does it get frustrating, you know, going back to voiceover? I know I'm bouncing around like crazy. But is it frustrating that they hired the same people, the tried and true, over and over? Yes and no. Those people are some of the best in the world at what they do, and they're right sure. here. Mm -hmm. So is it frustrating that those people get the jobs? Or can you listen to their work and really learn and go, okay, well, I got the so-and-so from this one and the other thing from that one, and I see what they did there, and they've got this very specific take your time and learn because that's how you become one of the tried and true. Yeah. And then when you do break through and get a job, you go, holy crap, I beat that person out for this gig. Yeah. yeah. Because you yeah. know you did. You know, like, I mean, as long as they turn it in and you can never really know, but you get it. And so as long as you're appropriate for the job, it's only a matter of time before you get it. As long as you follow the right steps and you demystify the process of attaining it. I feel like we should write a self-help book. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, but I mean, seriously, when you start to demystify, what does it take to be a series regular on CBS? Mm -hmm. Well, you need to have a, have a CV. What's your portfolio? Show me your on-camera demo. Mm -hmm. Then you take that to, you start meeting casting directors. Who puts that stuff together? Are you comedy or drama? Oh, well, I'm more drama. Okay, give me your drama reel. Show me that you've done this before. Put together a CV. You don't have a drama reel? We need to get you a drama reel. Do we write the stuff from the ground up? Or are you going to start doing student films to amass a bunch of on-camera experience to get a reel to cut from? And so on. You know, so you get that reel to the person who would be able to get you an audition. You, you know, and then, and, or, or to an agent who can start submitting you for auditions. From there, you go to classes and you start shaking the hands of casting directors so they know who you are and you know that your work is good and you don't show up to those things until you know that your work is good enough to put on TV because mm -hmm. if you're too early, they get a bad impression and that's not cool. You know, so you just demystify that process and you go, wow, most series regulars have been at this a good five or six years. They've had a series of, you know, 20 or 30 co-star roles, which, and I'm just making up numbers, but they've been on other shows with one and two lines. They're very used to being on a set. They show up on time. They get in their makeup. They do their job. They don't interrupt. They don't trip over cords and slap people in the face for no reason. They don't hog all the craft services. They get on with pretty much everybody. That leads to a longer role and they're comfortable having you there for a couple days. Mm -hmm. And then you, they, people find out you're a nice person and it gets around town that you're pretty cool and you look right for the part and you sound right for the part and you luck into the perfect audition just for you, all of a sudden you're a series regular. Yeah, Is it a and, one and, in a million shot? Yeah. yeah. But if you break down the process of what it actually takes to get there, you don't stand at the bank. And somebody looks at you and goes, hey, you know what? I'm going to put you on channel two. That is not how it works out here. Yeah. And, you know, you hear, oh, so-and-so was discovered at. No, 
I don't think so. You know, because I, there's so much money on that shit, they can't afford to pull some chicken from the bank. They could maybe for an extra or for a print ad, but they can't for a series regular. That just ain't how it works. You know, I, um, I, I got on IMD. I, I heard a name that sounded familiar to me mm -hmm. today, and I realized it was an actor who had been on Tower Prep. And he wasn't one of the regulars, but he recurred a couple of times. And I, and I was going like, oh, yeah, I wonder how he's doing. And I got on IMDb, and uh, I, I, I checked back when he was doing Tower Prep. He'd done a few things prior to that. And then he was in like th three or four uh, recurring on Tower. And then he got some more stuff. Then he got a movie. Then he mm -hmm. got a featured role. Then a, a recurring on a series. And, you know, right around the time when we knew Tower wasn't coming back, I'd say about a year and a half ago, he wrote me and said, I'm coming you know, he's Canadian. I'm coming to L.A. Would you write me a letter of recommendation? And I wrote, uh, he was very, I, I've never met him actually, mm -hmm. but I liked his work and he did a great job with the character. Right. So I wrote, you know, I'd give him my highest recommendation if we had come back for a second season. We were all impressed with his work and if we had come back, we were going to up him to right, right. regular. And I have no idea if that did any any good or not. It certainly uh, didn't hurt him. It didn't hurt him. But then I noticed because he... He had used that as a springboard. He he was now in L.A. and and working also in Canada. He was doing regular work. He's on a series and 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 is and is keep going. And if he does another series here, he'll probably wind up a regular. I could see him a regular on either a primetime adventure or possibly a, a, a sitcom or yep. something. But that's how it happens. Is you know one or two roles here, guest starring. Maybe you come back and then pilot season happens and it's like. Oh yeah, we saw you on that episode where you played that funny guy on yep. How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, come in and read this, and and before you know it, he's a you know you could be a recurring on a on the next. But you have to show up every step of the way, and you have to keep showing up to try something new. Yeah. Because if he stopped auditioning at any point in that process, his career was over. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so I mean, it's just this thing you have to demystify the process and finish and also, finish something, and then start something else. And you also have to take. The setbacks as setbacks and not a career-ending thing. It's like, oh shit, I didn't get that. But I have been doing, you know, it's like I know I'm good because I worked on three episodes of this show last season. They're already looking at me on this, and I didn't get the series regular that I had my heart set on. But I, I've had enough success in the past, so I know I'm good, and I'm getting enough calls here, so I'm just going to keep at it. That's so, exactly what happened you, to me last Thursday. Yeah, I know. So you can't really savor the the things you use you lose out on, but you can learn from them, and you can say the 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 passion and the enjoyment I put in in pursuing this and getting other things mitigates, you know. Well, and furthermore, the opportunity, the, the fact that you had a job to not get means you had a chance at a job. Yeah, that's yeah. something. That's something. That is a big you know, thing. and so is it a failure to not get every single thing you try out for? No. And I don't think as an actor you want to get everything that you try out for. I think you want to get the ones that are only right for you mm -hmm. that you really can nail because it means that your body of work is going to be very complimentary. And and I think that as as any creative person, you don't want every job. You want the ones that are going to make you really happy. And we have a thing here in the house that when we get called for something, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. If if we're on the fence at all, we don't do it, Be, you know, regardless of the money. Because sometimes you might do something that's really friggin' great, yeah. but even though the money's not great because it sounds so fun or it's such a wonderful opportunity or there's something else in it for you. It's, it's you know, something you've always wanted to do, et cetera, et cetera. But even if the money is spectacular, if it's like, ooh, this person was not very nice to me, 
The answer is nope, nope, we're not doing that. Nope, 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 nope. And so it's being judicious, demystifying, and getting it done. Yeah, you know, in, in some cases, like I in, in, in my head, for as far as cartoon writing goes, sometimes I'll take a job. Like you said, the, the pay may not be the greatest, but it's something I've always wanted to accomplish. Yep. So it's like I almost have like this trophy wall over the fireplace of famous cartoon character heads. It's like and and it's like when I when I do something with them, it's like okay, I get to hang another head on the wall. Maybe uh, maybe I should say photograph of them, but it's I think more like old style. Dr. Seuss trophy. Yes, yeah, totally. So. And you can kind of check them off your bucket list. Yeah, there's one or two empty spaces up there for a few notable characters. Yeah, but, but your career's not over. No, no. Uh -uh. You know, I, I yeah. hope that you never get to the point where you've done everything you want to do because that's when hope stops. No. That, that's you know, right. like that's when you stop working for stuff. When you have everything you ever wanted, what's the point? Yeah. I hope you never have absolutely everything you want. I hope you always have something to wish for and dream yeah, for. It's, yeah, it's always, it's always good to to stay a little bit hungry, to, to always want something, to aspire, to reach. Well, that's when you start getting grateful. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So anyway. So this has, been, this has gone from being our April Fool's podcast to our career advice podcast. Indeed, and I'm no okay fooling. with that. Yeah, that's good. Art is never finished, it's just abandoned. That's what I was always told. Yeah. And that's interesting. podcast should be abandoned. Yeah, let's get it. Yeah. yeah, let's abandon. Let's hit the silk. We've, uh, we've got some more pizza to eat and uh, things like that. All right, well, good luck, everybody. And you know what? Just know... That, that we believe in you, I guess. I we hope do. your shit's good. We do. <laughs> this has been another episode of Radio Rashi. If you've enjoyed this episode, let everyone know by leaving a review in the iTunes store. It's a great way to help others find us. You can also leave comments on RadioRashi.com, Facebook.com forward slash Radio Rashi, or follow us on Twitter at Radio Rashi or at Paul underscore Dini to leave us questions. Thanks for listening, and tell your friends.